Welcome to No Nonsense Catholic. I'm your host, Matthew Arnold, here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. The confusion stops here. Great to have you along with us. Later on in the program, we're going to be talking about the precepts of the Church. What are they? Are they binding on all Catholics? Where do they come from? All that and more. But to begin with, I was talking with a Bible-only fundamentalist Christian via email recently, and we got on to the topic of the Church and baptism. And he said that uh, the Bible nowhere teaches that baptism is necessary for salvation. So I shared with him a familiar episode from John 3, where Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. Now, give this a little context. You know, at the end of chapter 2 in John's Gospel, we have the cleansing of the temple. And it says that Jesus went around Jerusalem performing signs. That's John's word for miracles. He went around working miracles in Jerusalem. And then Nicodemus visits him, a Pharisee, a member of the Jewish ruling council, And he says to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one would be able to perform the signs that you do unless God were with him, right? So it's because of the miracles that he's come, and because of the miracles he believes in his teaching. And Jesus says, Amen, amen, I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. And of course, this is the famous born-again baptism discourse. And it says born from above in this translation. This is the New Catholic version which is very similar to the New American Bible, but it's a little less inclusive languagey. So it's it's kind of familiar, but uh, but in some ways a little better translation than the one we use at the, for the lectionary. And uh, I'm going to say to you, no one comes to see the kingdom of God without being born from above. So in the original Greek, the word uh, is anothen, which can mean again, or it can also mean from above. So Jesus and Nicodemus are using the same word, but they have two different ideas about what it means. So Nicodemus says, how is it that, you know, how can a man be born again once he is old? Is it possible for him to enter a second time to his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus says, amen, amen, I say to you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. And then as you go down, you get down to... uh, verse 13, and he starts talking about the ramifications. He says, no one has gone up to heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so must the Son of Man be lifted up in order that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Right? This is a reference to Moses in the desert when the people were wandering in the desert and they were being bitten by vipers. He made a bronze serpent under the, uh, after the instruction of our Lord. God told him to make a bronze serpent, and, and if the people would to look upon it, that they would be cured. And this is a prefiguration of Jesus on the cross. Uh, he says, For uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may attain eternal life. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So obviously there's a connection between baptism and salvation. And the interesting thing is that within this discourse, our Lord revealed pretty much all the chief truths of our religion. First off, we see the Holy Trinity. Um, You know, there's the the God the Father who gives his only begotten Son, and it's only through uh, the rebirth in the Holy Spirit that you can see the kingdom. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In fact, every time uh, we encounter baptism, we encounter the persons of the Trinity. 
Remember, Jesus is baptized at the Jordan, and the Son comes out of the water. The, we hear the voice of the Father calling him his beloved Son, and there's a visible manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And then, you know, at the bookend to that, at the very end of his earthly ministry, before he ascends into heaven, our Lord says to go into the world and baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So baptism, the Holy Trinity. Also the Incarnation. The only begotten Son of God who came into the world is also the, the Son of Man that he references. The, both the, the divine and the human united in one person. Also we see the foreshadowing of the sufferings of Christ. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So Jesus knew. Sometimes people wonder, did Jesus know he was going to suffer? Well, yes, he did. Clearly, it says right here, he uh, knew from the beginning that he was going to die on the cross and offer himself uh, you know, on the cross being the object of the incarnation. And then that's clearly stated in the words that the world, so the world may be saved by him that whosoever believes may not perish but have uh, everlasting life. He willed to suffer and die on the cross in order to save us from eternal loss and obtain happiness, uh, you know, that we might attain happiness. So he died for everyone, therefore he is the Redeemer of all, which shows us the infinite love of God. Why did he die? Why was he willing to die? Why was it his will to die in order to redeem us? What was the motive? It was his infinite and divine and, as is often pointed out, unconditional love for man. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Uh, the most holy giving to a world laden with sin and under a curse, the, 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 the people that have offended him and turned against him millions of times, that he gave what was greatest, what was dearest to him, to suffer for us, to suffer humility and, and poverty and persecution and even that miserable death on the cross. And we talked last week somewhat about the, the unconditional love of God. Um, somebody pointed out to me the other day that um, book that was written by an evangelical named Bob Bell uh, 10 years or so ago called Love Wins. And it was really pushing that, uh, that heresy of universal salvation. But here we are in the very same chapter where Jesus says, God so loved the world he gave his only son, etc. Um, we see that you have to be born again. You, no one will see the kingdom unless they are born again of water and spirit, that is to say baptism. So yes, redemption is a free gift of God's unconditional love, but salvation hinges on our very conditional response to God's love. And so we see the necessity of baptism. That's how we become the children of God. That's how we become uh, members of the church. You have to be born again of water and the Holy Spirit to have any part in the kingdom of God. You know, um, and through baptism, as I say, we become members of the church, become the children of God, we become heirs to the kingdom of heaven. We have a right to the kingdom of heaven, which is a, a, an amazing concept when you think about it. But of course, rights also suggest responsibilities. Now, even after pointing out all of this, my interlocutor was said, uh, no, well, the Bible says, by grace you're saved by faith, and not by works, you know, and so that's it. All you have to do is accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. It doesn't say you have to have baptism. And I said, you know, we can agree on what the Bible says. The problem is we disagree on what the Bible means. It's about our interpretation uh, and not so much the, the words of the Scripture themselves. And he repeats, nowhere does the Bible say you have to be baptized to be saved. Now, okay, I get that he refuses to accept that John 3 is about baptism, even though that has been the church's constant teaching for 2,000 years, and every Christian everywhere believed it for at least 16 centuries, and more than 75% of all Christians still do. 
But I pointed out, you said, well, what about when Jesus says in Mark 16, 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. And then he who does not believe will be condemned. He says, well, there it is. See, you don't have to be baptized. It doesn't say he who is not baptized will be condemned, just he who does not believe. And I pointed out that, that that's precisely what it was saying, because the, the person who believes will be baptized. I pointed out uh, in Acts chapter 1, when Peter gives his sermon, it says, what does it say? And 3,000 people accepted Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior? No, it says 3,000 were baptized. Or you go to Acts chapter 8, where Philip, uh, here's the Ethiopian eunuch reading the prophecy of Isaiah, and says, do you understand what you read? And he says, how can I unless some men teach me? So and that kind of shoots an arrow through Sola Scriptura right there, because he's going, no, I need someone to tell me what this means. And so Philip preaches at the gospel. He shows him how um, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so it doesn't say that he accepts Jesus as a personal Lord and Savior. He says, here is water. What is to prevent my being baptized? He believes, and so he gets baptized. And then finally, you get to St. Peter, First um, Peter 3, 19 and 20, he's talking about Noah's Ark, how uh, Noah and his family, these eight people, were saved because they were in the ark. This is now we saved uh, be, when we enter the church. And he says, and I quote, this prefigured baptism, which saves you now. You know, and the fellow says, nope, it doesn't say that. And so I, at that point, I, I had to move on from the conversation because he's not being rational. You know, and there's no point in having a, a, a debate with somebody who refuses to, to uh, see what's right in front of their eyes. Um, but here's the interesting thing. When you look at this, after... St. John relates the cleansing of the temple and the, Jesus performing miracles, and then he talks about baptism and, and so forth. And then uh, what those miracles were, that's the reason that Nicodemus, Nicodemus came to see him. I believe what you say because of the miracles. But St. John doesn't tell us what the miracles were. And that's the point, is not everything is related in Holy Scripture. And that's why St. John says at the end of his gospel— in uh, chapter 21, there are also many other things that Jesus said and did, which if they were written every one, the world itself would not be able to contain the books that would be written. So Christian revelation, therefore, yes, it's in the scripture, but it is also in the tradition. And the church has the authority from Christ to tell us, to teach, govern, and sanctify, to let us know what it is that the, that the scripture means when we read what the Scripture says. And that brings us into today's topic. We're going to be talking about the precepts of the Church. And what is that? What are the precepts of the Church? Well, um, they're also called the laws of the Church, or the commandments of the Church. And, uh, and they're important. In fact, they are vital to the life of the Catholic Christian. So we're going to be talking about those. We have these rights uh, because of our baptism, but we also have responsibilities. So we're going to take a no-nonsense look at the duties of Catholics today. When we come back, lots more uh, no-nonsense Catholic right here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Great to have you along with us, and uh, lots and lots to talk about before we're done, and really kind of setting a tone for a direction we're going to take in the coming weeks, talking about the teaching of Christ, because in our current situation, there's nothing more important than remembering that the good news is good news, and that's no nonsense.
Help the Helpless, a Minnesota St. Paul nonprofit organization chaired by Father of Tear and volunteers, is humbly asking you for your kind support to help the poor and the handicapped children in India and Ecuador. Through financial support from the Help of the Helpless benefactors, the children are provided with clothing, food, education, shelter, and the teachings of the Catholic Church. The mission is to help children thrive and become self-sufficient young adults leading productive lives. We also provide aid to poor families in Ecuador with food baskets, medicines, medical assistance, and help with funeral needs for the deceased. The work in India is done by Father Antonio's organization, St. Mary's. In Ecuador, the work is being done by the Servant Sisters of the Home of Mother. You can call us at 877-762-8857. To learn more, please visit our website, www.helpthehelpless.org. God bless you. news today seems to be coming from everywhere and everyone. It's confusing at least and untrustworthy at the worst. Dr. Aceta is a faithful Catholic in the Kern County community. He is trustworthy, well-researched, and will only give expert opinion on matters in his own specialty. Catholic teaching at its entirety is of utmost importance to Dr. Aceta. Give Dr. Aceta a call for your obstetrics and gynecological needs at 661-695-6617. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Matthew Arnold here. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic, your internet home for Keep It Simple Catholicism, talking about the precepts of the Church and a no-nonsense guide to the duties of Catholics. Catholic Church has the right to make laws from Jesus Christ because he made St. Peter the keeper of the keys. He is the one with the power to open and close, to bind and loose, which is to say to allow or to forbid And that power is given individually to Peter in Matthew 16, 19, and then collectively to all of the apostles in Matthew 18, 18. And and the use of this extraordinary authority became clear in the development of the the early church. Jesus said uh, in John 10, there shall be one fold and one shepherd. He said, to Simon, you are Peter. He gives him a new name. You are Peter, rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And then after his uh, resurrection, he says to Peter, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. He's alluding to Peter as as the rock and as a, the shepherd of the flock. And our fundamentalist friend might step in and say, wait a minute, Jesus is the rock of salvation. Jesus is the good shepherd. And to 
that, of course, I say amen. That's entirely the point of Jesus using that terminology in regard to Peter, because he's giving to Peter his authority. All authority has been given on heaven and earth, he says, before his ascension, then, and then gives him the Great Commission to go and, and preach the gospel and do, uh, carry on his earthly ministry. You know, by using rock and shepherd, those allusions uh, in regard to Peter, Jesus is showing that he's the head apostle, that he has his authority. And it's very clear from Scripture that the apostles understood this. Um, Matthew 10, uh, verse 2, calls Peter the first apostle. And of course, he wasn't the first to be called. You know, he wasn't the first apostle in, in, in that sense. He's talking about his primacy. You know, we see in the book of Acts that he is the one who holds presiding place when the uh, apostles assemble in council. The, um, the inspired authors uh, in Matthew and Mark and Luke and Acts, everywhere that they list the apostles, Judas is always last for obvious reasons, and Peter is always first. He is the first apostle. He has the primacy, right, that primacy of Peter. And the church also teaches that Peter uh, has the gift of infallibility, and this is a problem, of course, for many non-Catholic Christians. How, how can you say that this man is infallible? He's just, a, he's just a human being. But we understand that the successor of Peter, Peter and then the popes that follow him, are divinely protected from error, but in very narrow circumstances. It's only acting in that official capacity as shepherd of the, of the Catholic fold. And when he's promulgating some decision... That's binding on the conscience of all Catholics. See, infallibility is not impeccability. We're not saying he's without sin. We're not even saying that he's always right. We're not even saying he's always right in his teaching, but only in this this one very narrow sense. And even then, uh, it has to be something uh, that's already contained in the deposit of faith. The Pope has no authority of any kind to originate new doctrine. So his infallibility is limited strictly to doctrinal interpretation. And that's what Jesus meant when he said to Peter, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. Uh, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Echoing the words of Isaiah 22, where the king of Israel gives his authority to the prime minister. And in the same way, in almost the same words, Christ gives Peter his authority to govern his kingdom, which is the church. And of course, when you think about it, it's only logical. Uh, Jesus clearly would not have admonished his followers to hear the church as he does in Matthew 18 and Luke 10, unless he somehow made sure that what they were hearing was the truth. And that means that he must have made the teaching office, the magisterium of his church, infallible. So this primacy refers to Peter's supreme authority. All of the apostles together, all the bishops of the world together, united with Peter, shared that gift. But uh, Peter and his sixer alone have that supreme authority to teach, govern, and sanctify the people of God. And so the right to make laws given by Christ is used by the successors of Peter and the apostles, um, and they have the right to make laws for the church. And that's what we're talking about now, the precepts of the church, uh, or we call them the commands of the church. Our good Lord said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so the precepts of the laws or the commandments of the church are certain duties that are expected of Catholic Christians who love our Lord. And these precepts really serve to um, illuminate the, the laws of God, the Decalogue, and, and the, 
Uh, and that's the reason that we're also bound to obey the precepts of the church, because they have the authority of Jesus Christ behind them. All authority is given me on heaven and earth. He tells the apostles, whoever hears you, hears me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. Whoever rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. And so this is a serious business. Now, the precepts of the church um, have been revised any number of times over the century to uh, address specific problems at that point of history. In the 1980s, the uh, USCCB, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, which at that time I think was still called the National Conference of Catholic Bishops, they compiled a list called the duties of Catholics, or the duties expected of Catholics today, that was based on the classic precepts of the church. And that's the one we're going to use uh, today when we're looking at these precepts, because they are the classical ones, but they're kind of expanded so as to make them more clear. Uh, Begins with, number one, to keep Holy Sunday, the day of the Lord's resurrection, to worship God by participating in Holy Mass every Sunday and Holy Day of Obligation, and to avoid those activities that would hinder renewal of soul and body. So, for example, unnecessary work or uh, business activities or shopping and so on. Number two, to lead a sacramental life, to receive Holy Communion frequently and the Sacrament of Reconciliation regularly, and minimally to receive the Sacrament of Reconciliation at least once a year, although annual confession is obligatory only if mortal sin is involved, and minimally also to receive Holy Communion at least once a year between the first Sunday of Lent and Trinity Sunday. Number three, to study Catholic teaching in preparation for the sacrament of confirmation, to be confirmed, and then to continue to study and advance the cause of Christ. That's an important one we'll be talking about more in a minute. Um, Let's see here. Number four is to observe the marriage laws of the church and to give religious training by word and example to one's children. Number five, to strengthen and support the church, one's own parish community and parish priests, the worldwide church, and the Holy Father. Number six, to do penance, including abstaining from meat and fasting from food on the appointed days. And finally, number seven, and I think classically, there were six precepts of the church. They added the seventh to join in the missionary spirit and apostolate of the church. So let's take uh, the rest of the program here. Really, we're going to just kind of unpack these precepts of the church. And if we don't get through them, we'll pick it up again next week, because I think this is really important. And these, uh, you know, understanding the responsibilities that come with our rights not only help to make us better Catholic Christians, but are going to tie into things we're going to talk about in the, the weeks ahead. So the first precept of the church, to keep holy the uh, day of the Lord's resurrection to worship God by participating in Holy Mass every Sunday and Holy Day of Obligation, to avoid those activities that would hinder renewal of soul and body. So the obligation to assist at Holy Mass on Sundays and Holy Days uh, binds every Catholic from the age of seven. Right? This is the age of reason. You should be able to tell right from wrong. That's when people uh, typically start preparing for the First Holy Communion, have their first confession, and so on. And this obligation, of course, flows from the third commandment or the Ten Commandments to remember and to keep holy the Sabbath day. Uh, To break a law of the church, of course, is a grave sin because they are tied to the Decalogue. It's uh, as much a sin to miss Mass on Sunday as it is to break any one of the Ten Commandments. So if you miss Mass on a Sunday or a holy obligation through your own fault, which means without a serious reason 
or uh, you know a dispensation of some sort like we currently enjoy. People are uh, in most dioceses uh, have been uh, dispensed from the obligation to hear mass on Sundays and holy days because of COVID, and because in some cases you know it's it's impossible, and the church never asks us to do what's impossible. But to miss Mass under the normal conditions through your own fault is a mortal sin. And mortal sin, of course, takes away from a sanctifying grace. We lose that divine supernatural life of the soul. It actually, you go from being a child of God to being an enemy of God. You lose the reward that you would merit from your good works. You're, you're deprived of that right uh, to eternal happiness in heaven. So this is, this is a serious business. And it goes all the way back to New Testament times. We can see that Sunday replaced the Jewish Sabbath for the followers of Christ. Uh, In Acts 20, we see that St. Paul and the Christians of Troas assembled on the first day of the week, quote-unquote, to break bread. And to break bread is the New Testament uh, uh, term for the Eucharist. Right, Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles and to the communal life to the breaking of bread and to the prayers, right? So that's Holy Mass. St. John called Sunday the Lord's Day in Revelation 1, and the title is still used by the Church today. And the reason that Sunday replaced uh, the Jewish Sabbath of Saturday was to remind us of the resurrection of Christ from the dead on the first day of the week. Even back, you know, before the year 100, back in the, the first century when the New Testament was still being written, we already have a record of the Sunday practice of assisting at Holy Mass in the teaching of the Twelve Apostles, also known as the Didache. It's like the oldest catechism uh, ever produced by the Church, the most ancient. And there, the Sunday obligation is expressed as a command. Right there, during the the New Testament period. By the middle of the second century, you have St. Justin the Martyr uh, writing about uh, this practice of the faithful gathering for the celebration of Mass. He says... Sunday is the day on which we all gather to worship God because it is the first day, the day on which God created the world, and it is the day on which Jesus Christ, our Savior, rose from the dead. See, the Jewish Sabbath was um, celebrated on the seventh day, which was the last day of creation, the day that God rested, it says, or the day that we give to God. Well, Sunday is the day of the resurrection the day that of when God first created the world. And it's a reminder that we are in Jesus Christ a new creation. So the church made a law that the uh, Catholics had to assist at Holy Mass on all Sundays of the year. Uh, the Second Vatican Council in our own day said, On this day Christians must gather together to hear the word of God, partake of the Eucharist, and in this way to call to mind the passion, resurrection, and glory of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. Sunday is the first of all feast days to be urged upon the faithful so that it also may become a day of gladness and rest from work. Now, it is through Holy Mass that we, uh, that we um, participate in the four great ends of prayer, adoration, contrition, thanksgiving, and supplication. And when we come back, uh, we're going to be talking about the other precepts of the Church, starting with the second uh, precept, and um, talking about Holy Communion and Reconciliation. Stay tuned.
Hi, this is Jesse Romero from the Terry and Jesse Show, also from Jesus 911. Let's face it, we all need to use the internet, but we need screen accountability. Why? Pornography is a huge problem, especially on the internet. And every time we tap into the internet, we get bombarded with images and temptations that degrade our humanity. So we need Covenant Eye to block these pornographic sites and advertisements from infiltrating our lives. Covenant Eyes helps us take custody of our eyes and custody of our intellect. So I recommend you go to CovenantEyes.com and type in the promo code DMPR to support the network. Protect yourself and your family from the eminent threats on the internet. www.CovenantEyes.com code DMPR live porn free. Thank you for listening to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you. God bless you. Keep the faith. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for supporting Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And here's an easy way to support us by going to smile.amazon.com and type in Catholic Resource Center or Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And when you log in your Amazon account and you purchase products, a portion of it will go right back in supporting Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And it doesn't cost you a dime. I want to thank you ahead of time because that supports us year-round. May God bless you and your family. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. I'm your host, Matthew Arnold, for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Glad to have you along with us. Talking about the precepts of the church, we covered the first. We're going to the second precept of the church, which is to lead a sacramental life. And now we've just talked about the obligation to go to Mass, to assist at Mass on Sundays and the uh, Holy Days, the half dozen Holy Days that we have. By the way, uh, Holy Days should be treated as much as possible like a Sunday, so avoiding unnecessary work and, and uh, really dedicating the day to the worship of God. Uh, but the second one it, it ties into this. It's to lead the sacramental life, which is to receive Holy Communion frequently and the Sacrament of Reconciliation regularly. Most people receive communion pretty much every Sunday, um, and the Church recommends regular confession uh, once a month if you can do it. Obviously, uh, a lot of folks don't do that, and a lot of folks who would do that have been hindered from doing that because of the uh, the current COVID-19 restrictions, but that's uh, something we look forward to ending. We pray that it ends quickly. But uh, the precept requiring that we lead a sacramental life, uh, is that we should receive Holy Communion often. Now, now, minimally, the very least that we are obliged to do is to receive Holy Communion once a year. 
and that uh, during Lent and the Easter time, so from the first Sunday of Lent to the end of the Easter season on Trinity Sunday. But however often, however frequently or infrequently receive communion, it's important that you only receive if you are well disposed. To receive communion in a state of mortal sin is itself another mortal sin. Uh, St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily will have to answer for the body and blood of the Lord. It says a person should examine himself for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So it's important that we, that we receive uh, well. And to do that, you know, leading a sacramental life also means um, receiving the sacrament of penance at least once a year. Uh, although annual confession is only an obligation if you've committed a serious sin. Now, the law of yearly confession, what it means really is that if you commit a mortal sin you must not let more than a year go by without receiving the sacrament of penance. And, uh, and obviously, if you don't, you're not going to be able to uh, receive communion in the Easter time, which you're also strictly obliged to do. So Jesus Christ, I mean, through the church, he's telling us that we should receive Holy Communion as, <clears throat> as often as we may, weekly, even daily. Uh, some people are daily communicants, you know, if possible, but only, only if we're in a state of grace. Uh, the Holy Mass is a true sacrifice, and it is also a banquet that reminds us of the Last Supper. And in that holy banquet, we are united with Jesus and with other, each other in Jesus, and we prepare ourselves for this everlasting banquet in heaven. You know, the Holy Mass is a foretaste of heaven. Blessed are those who are called to the Supper of the Lamb, we say in the liturgy. And Holy Communion is the action of by which we receive the Holy Eucharist, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ as the spiritual food for our soul, the, the food that makes you live forever. And he invites us, our good Lord Jesus, invites us to Holy Communion so that he can bless us, so that he can keep us close to his heart. And that is why he gave the apostles the power to absolve us from our sins. John 20, 22, and 23, Jesus breathed on the apostles and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you forgive, they are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. He says in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. The sacrament of penance brings us to God's merciful forgiveness of sins that we commit after baptism. So through the priest who's acting in the person of Christ, Jesus comes to forgive our sins and to give us the peace that we require and the peace that, uh, that we acquire when we're truly sorry, when we sincerely confess our sins, and when we're willing to make up for them by our prayers and sacrifices. But Jesus, uh, Jesus doesn't just forgive our sins. You know, I mean, you can come to me and say, oh, Matthew, I've sinned, and I can, I can say, well, uh, I forgive you. <laughs> but that but that only goes so far, right? When you go into the confessional, the priest absolves your sins. I remember uh, there was a talk show, and I think they were talking, it was like a pro-life thing, and they had um, a evangelical minister and a Catholic priest that were being interviewed. And at one point, you know, and, and I guess he was, you know, struck by this ecumenical spirit, the, uh, the uh, uh, evangelical minister, minister says to the priest, 
you know, we're really the same. We preach the gospel, we, you know, we, we pastor souls, we're really the same. And the priest said to him, do you claim the power to absolve people from their sins? And he says, well, certainly not. And the priest says, then we're not the same at all, are we? Because that was the power that was given by Christ to the apostles that's passed on to the bishops and priests of the Holy Catholic Church. So he doesn't just forgive our sins, he absolves us of our sins. He removes the guilt of that sin and returns sanctifying grace to our soul. Or if we're not in mortal sin, he increases the sanctifying grace in our soul. We become more closely, more deeply united to the Holy Trinity through the sacrament of penance. That's why it helps us to work uh, for holiness. Uh, it works to, for, for perfection of life and to overcome our bad habits or our vices, right? The bad habits of sin that are ingrained, that, that is how you overcome them and become perfect. As Jesus said, be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. It says in the book of Revelation, um, nothing or only or nothing imperfect shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to either be perfected uh, in this life or in the fires of purgatory. So the sinner who's truly sorry for his sin, his sins, the priest says, as he raises his hand in blessing, I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That is the action. Those are the words that need to be said. And uh, somebody sent an email a while back and said, I went to confession and the priest said, uh, you know, I, I forgive you from your sins, go in peace. Uh, you know, or I, I you give you God's love and your sins are forgiven or whatever. Uh, but it wasn't the formula. And he says, I wasn't absolved, was I? And, you know, we had to say, sorry, no. You know, uh, the sacraments require matter and form. And that formula of I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is requisite for your, uh, uh, your reconciliation. So the church urges us to confess our sins regularly, once a month, even more often, so that we can grow in our love of God and our love for each other, and so that we can overcome our temptations to commit sins and, uh, and grow in holiness. After the Holy Eucharist, sacrament of penance is the one that uh, people typically receive most often. It is the one that can be received most frequently, although uh, again, the, the COVID-19 restrictions have kind of uh, put a damper on that for some people. But it's important that uh, when things are regular, that we should regularly uh, celebrate that sacrament uh, because it is so so very important. And if it's received regularly and Holy Communion is received frequently, you know, that is going to keep our soul clean and make us pleasing to God. All right, the third precept of the church is to, and this is interesting, this is a little spin on the, on the traditional, um, third precept of the church, to study Catholic teaching in preparation for the sacrament of confirmation, to be confirmed, and then to continue to study and to advance the cause of Christ. Confirmation, it goes back to the book of Acts, chapter 8. They laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Remember that uh, they had to send, these people had been baptized, they had not received the Holy Spirit. They had to send them Peter and John. The, just the priests wouldn't do. They needed bishops to come and give them this sacrament of confirmation. And confirmation is a sacrament by those who are born again in baptism, 
now receive the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Father and the Son, in a in a special way. Confirmation strengthens the life of the Spirit that was received at baptism, and Jesus sends the Holy Spirit again to Christian souls to uh, uh, to be filled with new grace and new strength to lead the Christian life. And this this calls back to uh, the Book of Acts after the Ascension. They are in prayer for nine days, right? The first novena, praying for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit comes, and, you know, there's the sound of like a mighty wind, and it says all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's in Acts chapter 2. Traditionally, we say that the Holy Spirit in confirmation makes us soldiers of Christ. It, it prepares us to be witnesses uh, by a sincere Christian life, and to spread and defend the faith while we're living in the world. That's why we have to study the faith before we're confirmed, because it's you have to know the faith to be able to defend the faith. You have to know the faith to be able to live it or share it. And that is why the Church admonishes us to continue to study after confirmation so that we can advance the cause of Christ in the world. You know, when we're confirmed, a duty is placed upon us to bring Jesus, uh, his example, his, his way of life, his, his church, his teachings to others. And the strength and grace of the Holy Spirit is going to help us to do that, you know, if we show some effort and ask for it in prayer. So many, I mean, I teach RCIA, and that's one of the reasons, because so many of my students are Catholics who were never confirmed and are now becoming confirmed as adults. And that's why it's important to remember that catechesis is for Catholics of all ages. St. John Paul II said, even the elderly. We all of us must, you know, constantly be be uh, um, absorbing and strengthening our faith. All right, the fourth precept of the Church is to observe the marriage laws of the Church and to give religious training by example and word to one's children. Uh, sacrament of matrimony, awesome sacrament, uh, comes to the man and the wife um, to, to, you know, uh, Christ comes to them, to be with them, to live with them, to give them grace, help them fulfill their rights and duties to God and to each other and to their children until death. And we're going to talk about that and more when we come back. Lots more no-nonsense Catholic right here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Stick with us and we will return after these messages. Welcome, Daniel. You're on the line. What's on your mind, brother? Hi, I just wanted to share a testimony about Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I had a buddy at work who, you know, he's a lukewarm Catholic guy, and I wanted him to start listening to the Terry and Jesse show, so I kept telling him to download the app, and he kept putting me off. So one day, I grabbed his phone, and I downloaded the app <laughs> for him. I went on vacation, and you know, I kept telling him to listen to it. He was kind of put me off. I came back from vacation. He comes to my cubicle, and he says to me, Hey, man, I've been listening to Terry and Jesse's show, and it's great. And it's uh, made a big impact in his life. The guy, he's going to weekly adoration a couple times a wow. week. He goes to the Mass in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's an on-fire Catholic, and he promotes the Terry and Jesse show in the Virgin Most Powerful Radio. 
Daniel, what a testimony. And I want to encourage our listeners to get those cards by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org and uh, do what Daniel's doing. Go out and spread the faith by inviting people to listen to Virgin Most Powerful. Daniel, thanks for your testimony, brother. God love you. You're welcome. Jesus said in Luke 17, When you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have only done our duty. According to St. John of the Cross, God is pleased with the little deeds we do in secret. He takes more pleasure in these than in a multitude of grand works that we may do out of the desire to be seen by others. May God help us to do the things that please Him and not just to appear great in the eyes of others. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic, your internet home for keep it simple Catholicism. I'm your host, Matthew Arnold, for Virgin Most Powerful Radio, talking about the precepts of the church and right now the fourth precept to observe the marriage laws of the church and to give religious training by example and word to one's children. You know, marriage was instituted by God with our first parents in order to bring children into the world and to educate them, and also for the love of the husband and wife for each other, but really in that order. And the sacrament of matrimony is the calling for for every family, according to God's will, to share uh, their life together with a deep and personal love. And the church, through her teaching and her laws, then helps the parents and children to love each other and to serve God according to his will. It's important to remember, especially in our day, that parents are the primary educators of their children. And even if you're using the parish schools uh, and the religious education available through your church, you still have this obligation. You are the one who's responsible Uh, most especially for the religious education of your children, and uh, not only through their, you know, book learning and and liturgy, but also through your own good example. And Matrimony Helps gives us the the grace to do that. Uh, The fifth precept of the church is to strengthen and support the church, one's own parish, community, and parish priests, the worldwide church, and the Pope. And that's a lot of responsibility. That's a lot of strengthening and supporting there. Uh, The church is the congregation of all baptized persons united in the the one true faith, the one sacrifice, the same sacraments, all under the authority of the Pope and the bishops united with him. And it was the, the church Jesus founded in order to bring all people to eternal salvation. And the church can lead people um, to salvation by the grace of the Holy Spirit who gives the church her divine life. Uh, The dwelling of the Holy Spirit, you know, we first see that on Pentecost Sunday. 
when he comes down upon the apostle in the form of tongues of fire. And uh, God the Father and God the Son send the Holy Spirit uh, to dwell in the church till the end of time. And the church always does the will of her divine founder, the unseen head, by, by teaching, by sanctifying, they say making holy, and by governing or ruling um, the people of God in the name of Christ. And the people then, in return, we're obliged to support the church, our bishops, our priests, the Holy Father, strengthen and support. So first, uh, strengthened by prayer and, and um, also by pursuing holiness, and then through our own stewardship. And stewardship comes in many forms. It's not just a, you know, pay, pray, and obey, but um, to give of not just our money, not just, you know, write a check and drop your dollar in the basket and forget about it, but with our time and our talent as well as our treasure. So seeing what needs to be done at the parish and stepping up to fulfill that role is an important part of our stewardship of strengthening and supporting the church. All right, and coming down in the, to the home stretch here, the sixth precepts of the church is to do penance, including abstaining from meat and fasting from food on the appointed days. Our Lord commands us to do penance for our sins. And the church, doing her duty as our guide and teacher, sets aside these certain days of fasting. Fasting is when you eat only one full meal. And abstinence, which means to uh, not eat any flesh meat. So you can have fish and so forth, but no no beef or chicken or pork, etc. Now, we've observed fast days as Christians since all the way going all the way back to the first century, uh, especially during the season of Lent in honor of the Lord's passion and death. And, and once upon a time, of course, Catholics fasted and abstained all 40 days of Lent. Uh, and they abstained not only from flesh meat during that time, but also from the meat byproducts, even eggs and cheese and so on. And, and today, of course, we don't follow that, but it, that's what gave birth to the custom of, t- quote-unquote, giving something up for Lent so that, you know, it, that we unite ourselves in, in spirit to that 40-day fast and abstinence. Today, currently, the um, appointed days of fast and abstinence, both are Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. And the days of abstinence are all the Fridays of Lent, and once upon a time was all the Fridays of the year, and you should still make some sacrifice if you're not abstaining on Fridays. And uh, uh, the laws of fasting bind from the age of 18 to the completion of one's 59th year. So being 60 years old now, technically I don't need to fast anymore, but I think uh, spiritually I definitely need to keep up that particular custom. And uh, all of uh, the baptized, uh, the age of 14 or older, are supposed to abstain from meat on the Fridays of Lent and Ash Wednesday. So that's, that's one for us all. And finally, now the seventh precept. Like I said, there were traditionally six precepts. The U.S. bishops add the seventh precept to join in the missionary spirit and apostolate of the church. Jesus gave his apostles the command to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. It brings us full circle to where we started today's program. Since this universal power belongs to the risen Jesus, you know, all power on heaven and earth, he gives the apostles a universal mission. They are to make disciples of all nations, Gentiles and Jews as well, 
And how? Well, first and foremost, by baptizing them, because baptism is the means of entrance into the church, outside of which you cannot be saved. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that's the clearest expression of, uh, of the Trinitarian belief in the New Testament. And that's another full circle, because as I said, Jesus began his public ministry with his own baptism, where he comes out of the water, the Son, uh, accompanied by the voice of the Father and the visible manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit becomes the baptismal formula and also designates the effect of baptism, which is the union of the baptized with the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then Jesus commands them to teach all that I have commanded you, which is you know, I mean, primarily the moral teaching found in the Gospel and principally the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be talking about that uh, next week. But all includes also those things which he said and did that St. John says are not recorded in the Scriptures. The commandments of Jesus are now the standard of Christian conduct, not the Mosaic law as such, even though the Ten Commandments have been invested with the authority of Jesus. And lastly, he says, Behold, I am with you always. And that's the fulfillment of his name, Emmanuel, God with us, given to him in the infancy narrative and his own promise of John 6, uh, of his real though invisible presence in the Holy Eucharist. So the necessity of church and baptism, continuing catechesis, scripture and tradition, the obligation to keep the commandments, especially the great commandments of love, and the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, it's like a compendium of the doctrines that are denied by our fundamentalist Bible-only Christian brother and sisters. And it shows just how crucial the church and the grace of the sacraments communicated by her to the faithful for so many reasons, uh, not the least of which being that you can't possibly understand the scripture without them. Well, 2,000 years that the church has been uh, working to fulfill that great commission. And the seventh precept tells us that we, we must share in that work of spreading the kingdom uh, through our prayers and sacrifices and through our, our, our other good works. The church is missionary because we all share the command from Christ to carry the good news of his teaching to all of mankind by word and example. And we support the the church's missionary work through our prayers and donations and by doing this work in a special way because we belong to a missionary church. That's why Virgin Most Powerful exists. Jesus said to his apostles, he said to me, he said to you, you are to be my witnesses, even to the ends of the earth. So people ask uh, increasingly, how are we going to get through this terrible period of history that we're living in? I mean, it seems like the devil has pulled out all the stops. Not only uh, has everything ground to a halt over concerns about this virus that uh, I was becoming suspicious is not perhaps as uh, dangerous as they said it was, and also but, but civil unrest and, and, uh, and international intrigue and, and uh, you know, uh, internecine strife in our own government and in, in our own church and amongst our own uh, populace. Seems like I say, like the, the devil's pulling out all the stops. How do, we, how do we manage that? Well, this is the answer, the, the seven precepts of the church. You know, it's the same way we've gotten through every terrible period uh, uh, in salvation history. By remembering that the good news is just precisely that. It is good news. And I can tell you that the worse things are, the better that news is to those who are suffering. Because it's the doom of men that they forget. And that's what's happened in our society. We've turned away from God. We've turned away from the church and gone our own way and we're paying the price. 
And so it is more important than ever to uh, you know obey the precepts of the church, to do our very best to uh, increase our own personal holiness, and then to share the good news with everyone we can, because that's the ultimate answer. So let's pray for the grace to obey the precepts of the church, the grace to be uh, faithful members of the Catholic Church, faithful subjects of the kingdom of God, to remember that, that as the children of God, by adoption, through baptism, we are the brothers and the sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord Christ the King. That makes you and I a, a prince or a princess of the kingdom of God. That is our patrimony. That is our inheritance, that we reach eternal happiness with the Father, the Holy Spirit, our Lord Jesus Christ, his blessed mother, and all the saints. And that is a consummation devoutly to be wished. All right, next week here on No Nonsense Catholic, we're going to turn um, to the teachings of Jesus, because I think uh, there is no time like the present. It's probably the most important time in my life um, so far to um, emphasize the teaching of our good Lord, to remember you know, that, that God is in charge and that uh, Christ is Lord and that the victory's been won and that we are the heirs to the kingdom of God. And that is uh, a kingdom that we are called upon to share and to spread around the world. So I, I hope you will join us for that next week here, same time, same station, or whenever it is that you uh, listen to us via download on the app, on the VMPR website, uh, on YouTube, Facebook, however it is that you, um, you know, uh, uh, that you contact these programs, I encourage you to keep it up. And I want to say thank you so much because without your prayers and your financial support, we couldn't possibly continue doing this. So if you're not a donor, um, please seriously consider heading over to vmpr.org and uh, giving us a donation or maybe even becoming a monthly donor. There's lots of uh, perks that go along with it, and you can read all about it on vmpr.org. In the meantime, I want to say thank you very much for me personally. Um, I love doing this, and and again, without you, uh, I would not be able to do that. And so until next time, may the Lord bless us Protect us from all evil and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. I am Matthew Arnold, host of No Nonsense Catholic for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Till next time, may God richly bless you and your family. In the 1990s, I lived and worked in Hollywood. But when my wife Betty's mom took ill, we relocated to Orange County. And it was during this time in our lives that I converted to Catholicism. Once my eyes were opened to the truth, I couldn't learn enough about the faith. But I had less free time than ever, especially with a long commute. That's when I discovered the real value of Catholic audio. Listening to cassette tapes transformed my daily commute into a miniature retreat. And that's the beauty of Virgin Most Powerful Radio today. Since the podcasts are archived, You can listen anytime on our smartphone app. I know how listening to Catholic audio can bring you closer to Christ and His Church, so I encourage you to visit the App Store or go to vmpr.org and download the app today. It just might change your life. I'm Matthew Arnold for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.